Oh, hey, girl. It's Tess Rouse and Christina Beattie. We're the co-hosts and creators of Authentically Wild. A podcast that may literally transform your understanding about life, relationships, and your healing journey. So get ready, girl. Shit's about to get wild. Most of us have experienced loss and the grief following it in some form throughout our lives. And if you haven't yet, it will find you too. It's inevitable. There's both conventional grief, which would stem from the death of a loved one or someone close to you, but also unconventional grief, which could surface through the ending of a relationship, the failure of a business or career, the list goes on. Some situations are easier to recover from and some are so devastating, it feels like your whole life has been brought to a standstill. Today, Christina and I will use our real life experiences of unconventional grief to pull apart what this looks like what happens in our minds and our bodies throughout the grieving process and the tools and practices that have helped us to accept and begin to move through our grief in hopes that this episode can support you on your journey. Hello, hello. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? Summertime. I know it's been a few weeks. I feel like, you know, everybody's doing something right now. Everybody's got stuff going on. Right. And then you get to come see me in a week. It's going to be so great. Yeah. Ooh, I wonder <laughs> if we should do a recording when I'm there. Obviously. Yes. Yes. We'll do better. The real, the real magic really happens. Right. We'll do better sound quality this time because that was when we were in person last time and the sound was kind of off, but that's okay. Yeah. 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 It was like echoey or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we jump in, I want to mention as well, uh, if you are listening to this, Tess and I would love if you could, you know, if you find this episode, if it resonates for you, share it on your social, send it to somebody who you feel like it could help because the more you share, the more you put it out there in the world, the more people it can reach. And that's the whole reason why we do all of this. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just looked at some of our dashboard stats and like people all over the world are listening to this, like in Africa, in Asia, like it's mind blowing really to think yeah. of it, like just technology and the ability to connect people. And I know yeah. it's really cool. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to be talking about grief today. And what I want to point out first is with some of the examples that I'm going to be sharing, my experience with grief is definitely more on the unconventional side of grief in terms of, you know, grief of relationships, my teaching career, identity and self. So just to point that out as well, I know that you've got some examples that you're going to use, but for anybody listening, that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely experienced conventional grief, like through the loss of a, a best friend in my early 20s. But today, I think um, I'm also going to focus on unconventional grief because it's just so relatable. I feel pretty much anyone in their lives has experienced it in some form of another. And I also think conventional grief almost requires a whole nother set of tools, depending on the loss of who that was and and how close, like, I mean, a friend, a loved one, heaven forbid a child it's, you know, and, and I think that you should definitely be seeking professional advice in those spaces because it can be very traumatic um, mm-hmm. dependent on that relationship. And, um, you know, I think pieces that we talk about today can help you to understand grief in both conventional and unconventional. Uh, but I think conventional grief requires, you know, that, that extra level as yeah. well. Yeah. I would, uh, I would hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. And then yeah. In, in terms of that, you know, 
if you had said to me a few years ago, if you had brought up this piece around grief and relationships, like I would have been like, what are you talking about? And so I think that it's not spoken about enough, the grief that we experience when it does come to the endings of partnerships, of friendships, of a career, the loss of a job. Uh, And especially for me personally, like with my healing journey, I've had to go through many layers of grief in terms of my identities and sense of self. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that that's really important to point out. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, what are you talking about grief when it comes to these different pieces? I challenge you to look at this a little bit more closely in terms of when you have let go of a relationship or lost one or you've transitioned in your career, or you have dug into a piece of maybe trauma you've experienced or a deeper layer of your healing, like in order for us to truly process and release some of these things, like there is that grief that shows up and can you allow yourself space to sit in it? Because I think when we can truly do this, that's when we feel so much more flow in life. We feel such a deeper connection within ourselves. We don't get as stuck. Um, So I just wanted to point out that piece to start. Mm -hmm. You bring up a a really good point because I think pretty much drop all your perceptions of what you think grief is. Mm. I've done a lot of research. We've experienced it a lot not to say that we're the experts, but look up any YouTube video on it. And pretty much it dismantles our beliefs about it. A lot of people think grief is just an emotion. It's actually a very complex number of different emotions altogether. There can be anger, sadness, uh, denial, all, all of that intertwined in grief. And um, Dr. Gabor Matei, I think I'm saying his yes, name right. He's, he's amazing. So good. so good. Like on trauma, et cetera. He, he, I heard this quote from him once say, grief is the antidote to trauma. Wow. So let that sink in because a lot of people think grief is a, and it is, it's a very hard emotion to process. No one wants to sit in it. And most people do repress it. We don't want to kind of go at it head on. We put it in the background under the rug, et cetera. But if you want to move through an experience that was traumatic, whether that's losing a career, loss of a relationship, et cetera, grief comes up for a reason. It's how those emotions you're feeling move through you. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, he just quotes it so perfectly. Grief is the antidote to trauma. And if you are repressing your grief or you're not dealing with it, you're not allowing your body to process it you actually will go into like what we would call suffering. So pain is temporary, right? Felt by trauma. Suffering is when you're in this prolonged state of pain because you have not processed it. That honestly, like just hearing you say that, that brings up so much for me in terms of, and I wasn't going to talk about this to start with, but I want to put it in here. You know, Zoe has been, I always talk about this lots. Max and Zoe are here to teach me such different things. And Zoe in my life has, you know, here's this for anyone who knows Zoe, you know, she is like this little butterfly. She just floats around (laughs) and like, not a lot affects her, you know, like watching her just break her arm. Like she just called it her stupid cast and (laughs) sorry, not stupid cast, her boring cast. Right. (laughs) Like she's just, she just has this carefree spirit about her. And Mm. 
on my healing journey, as I have really allowed myself to dig into so much of my childhood trauma, you know, not only with my parents' separation, but there have been a couple different instances where I've experienced sexual trauma as a child. And um, I had never looked at it until I became a mother. And then I had to really look at it. You know, when I see Zoe and I see how carefree she is, at first, this really used to trigger me because, well, at first I didn't know why, but then as I dug into it and I was doing my, my, my processing of my trauma at the same time, I could see that it triggered me because I didn't get to feel that carefree as a child. I didn't get to be the floating butterfly. Right. And if I did, I don't remember because a lot of my trauma Mm -hmm. kind of covered that up, suffocated it, you know? And, and so in that sense, like I think about this piece, you say that grief is the antidote to trauma. Like I, I now can see that when I was really getting triggered by Zoe and, and still do sometimes that's grief coming up. That's grief of my childhood. That's grief of a loss of innocence that I had as a child. It's just, it's so interesting, you know? You bring up this really good point too, because this is typically where we don't learn how to process grief is in our childhood, right? I mean, I'm guilty of it earlier on in my experience as a mother, but when our kids are in pain and suffering, that triggers us. And we're just like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. Move forward. It's behind you. The past is in the past. And what we do there is we teach them, no, you repressed that, that, that need to cry, that need to like really long for that, you know, loss of, of what you wanted or what you had a pet of your first goldfish, whatever it may be. And again, that's why we get stuck in those things. Right. So it's just so interesting, you know, you talking about your experience with, you know, some sexual trauma and like, you know, probably you didn't have an outlet to talk to that about. And, and because of previous conditioning and programming, you repress that. You didn't grieve that experience in your innocence, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we we pull it forward and not understand that grief is actually a tool to yes. relieve us of that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. And I love that you bring up the tool piece because, you know, I think sometimes we can be surprised when it shows up, if we have the awareness to even see that it's showing up. Sometimes you just get these emotions and you're like, if you don't have the awareness, like if you can't step back and like actually look at the emotion on maybe a deeper level, you might not even see that it's grief. Like it can be so inconspicuous sometimes, but what I have come to see it as, and this is where the tool piece comes in is that there is very much an ebb and flow to it. You know, it's not linear, it's circular. You're never going backwards. And that what I've come to see is that when it does come up, when that trigger does happen, that is always showing me it's this tool that's there to show me that there is more that needs to be processed, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest parts for people is when they feel like, oh, I've dealt with it. I've processed it a bit and it could be a week, a day, a month, and then they're hit with it again. Mm -hmm. And you feel in some ways, like what you said, there is oh, I'm back at the beginning. Did I even deal with that? And and that's just that understanding you just said about grief is it's not linear. It's circular in a way. Right. And you may deal with it your entire life, depending on what you're grieving, but it's, it's kind of learning like how to accept that and allow the emotion to move through when it comes up and continue living your life. But I think a lot of people get lost in that. And that's why they repress it is because they feel like, well, it's, it keeps coming up. So I don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, 
so important there that you say like, yeah, it keeps coming up and I don't know how to deal with it. I think that the more you can actually go forward into that, like, like, like step into the fire rather than push it away. I don't think that there is one simple way to deal with it. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, if you can go in with the mindset of like, I may not know how to handle this emotion I'm feeling. I may not know how how to support myself through this, but I'm going to go in and just be curious and see what's here. I think you start to feel into your own process of what that can look like. Absolutely. You know, I want to mention this piece, like, and this happened last night with Matt, like this was not part of like, you know, you and I sometimes prep notes and stuff for our our episodes. Like this was not part of the notes I had prep, but I want to include, I want to include it here because this is really important. I was um, just kind of randomly looking at pictures with Max last night on my phone. And it, you know how sometimes you can go into, like if you have a, a Apple phone, like you can go in and it will do the for you videos with like music. Those get me every time, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it went, it had one called Max. So he's like, let's look at it. And so we're looking at all these pictures. It was like three minutes mm-hmm. and, you know, pictures of him, pictures of me and him and him and Zoe and, Brad and myself and the kids like stuff from the past. And I started to get really, really emotional. I wasn't expecting it, although I'm not surprised. Right. And I could see this was a really like now in hindsight, I can see this is a good example of the ebb and flow of it because all of that came up. And I think if I didn't have this awareness, I would have been like, Oh my gosh, I'm going backwards. Here I am in those emotions mm-hmm. again. But now I can see that like, oh no, when it comes up, it just wants to be felt. Like it just wants to be there Mm -hmm. without placing too much meaning on it and just be like, yeah, like that was my life. That was us as a family. And also like seeing Max as a little guy, he's grown so much. And and so there was like grief of him as as a little guy and and into becoming a big boy. And, you know, he looked at me, he's like, mom, you're crying. And then he started crying. And I'm like, yeah, bud, like, (laughs) he's like, are those sad tears? I'm like, well, not really sad. Maybe there's a little bit of sad in here. And, and we talked Mm -hmm. about, we actually, like I said to him, you know, there's something called grief. And, and we talked about like, what is that? And it was really hard to explain it to him, but at the same time, he, I, I felt like he was kind of understanding it. Like sometimes we get these emotions and they're hard to place, but we just need to let ourselves feel them. And it was a really beautiful moment because we just sat and we had some tears and we hugged and I rubbed his back, but it was like, I think sometimes that's all we need to do is just feel it. You know, yeah. you had a love explosion. That's what they we did. Them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful moment for yeah. you guys. And too, I think to show, you know, I think as parents, we, we suppress that side of like our emotional selves to our kids because we think it's damaging to them in some way, but remember that if they are feeling sad and want to cry, but they never see you do it, it almost creates, like you need to almost give them permission. Right. And I think that's what you gave to him in that moment. Yeah. And I become really aware of like not hurrying through it. And that was something I used to do before I kind of got on my healing journey was like, I, if something came up, I'd be like, okay, okay. Have your tear. Yep. Are you okay? What do we need to do to make this better? Whereas now, especially with him, I just let us sit and like kind of let it out and talk about it without trying to like move through it too quickly. And I think that's also been really helpful for myself on my journey. Yeah, no, it would be for sure. Mm -hmm. And I want to build off this, this point that you're making there about 
the ebb and flow and, and how it, it naturally can reoccur and come up no matter how long the time mm-hmm. frame has been since the initial loss and therefore then the grief process that you're in. Uh, I've, I've done some research uh, on this. This guy, his name is Dr. Huberman. He's a neurobiologist at Stanford University. And he talks that underneath like the feelings of grief, grief is actually not a state of sadness, which I think most of us associate it with. Those are definitely the feelings of it, but grief is actually a motivation to resolve a want that we long for. Mm. So grief is a motive, it's a motivational state to resolve a want that we long for. And I think the reason it continues to pop up sometimes is because you know, those, those pathways in our brain are still connected where we wanted that future, that relationship, that job, that whatever it may be. And we, our brains are wired to want to fill that void for us, right? Even if you're not even consciously thinking of it, but, but more subconsciously. Uh, And, you know, what he says is our attachment to people, animals, and things comes through three pathways, which is the space, time, and closeness. So space, meaning how physically close that person is to us. Like, do we see them physically on a day-to-day basis? Think of a coworker, a neighbor, et cetera. Uh, Time, how often do we interact with them? When was the last time we saw them? How often do they text us? Is it a daily thing? And then our closeness. So how deep is our emotional attachment to them? How vulnerable are we? How many of our secrets? does that person know and the stronger all of those three things are the more entrenched in grief you're going to feel because the emotional and neuro neurological pathways you have with that person with that attachment with that animal person or thing basically when you go through grief you have to unbraid that or get rid of the enmeshment of those things Mm -hmm. right because if someone's texting you every day or you see them every week or they're the person that you go to when hard things happen. And now that, that there's just a void there, that, that pathway in our brain is still connected just because the loss of a relationship happens. It doesn't mean our brains now just automatically reset. Okay. They're no longer here. No, they are wired to expect that person to still text at that same time, to still yes. show up physically at that same time, to still be our rock when exciting things happen in our life or sad things happen in our life. And grief is such a long process because you're unemeshing that neural network in your brain, which like scientifically is just fully proven. Uh, so it's just, it's just really, really interesting uh, that we basically need to remap our attachment to the things that we we lose, and and our brains instinctively work to want to resolve those those voids that we now feel. Because, mm-hmm. you know, just because someone's gone out of your life, all those experiences you've had with them, like those are in your database, right? And mm-hmm. so it's very discrediting to now your reality, which is, well, they're not here. Well, what do you mean they're not here? For the last three years, they've been the person we text every day. What, what do you mean? Like, no, they are here. And that's actually where denial is typically one of the first feelings of grief come up because it's not working with our database of memories that we have, right? Or mm-hmm. maybe you think about someone in a certain light and now, you know, that you've removed them from your life. And it's like, yeah. Anyways. So. Okay. So a couple things actually that kind of like went off there that like there was, I had this little light bulb moment when you said like when you text every day and then you don't like, what do you mean? Like that's, they are here though. Right. Like it almost made me think of when somebody loses a limb and they get those mm-hmm. phantom pains, mm-hmm. 
same thing with your brain, right? It is firing as if you still have. So it just yes. me, I, I don't know what the connection there is, but it made me think of that. Like how, how fascinating the human brain is and just how it works. And the other thing that I wanted to ask you in terms of what you had just said that I think might also be helpful for listeners is what do you mean when it comes to this piece of remapping the attachment? Like, what does that, because even for me, like, I don't know what that looks like or what that means. Yeah. So again, our attachment to things are based on those three pathways, time, space, and closeness. And so when those neural circuits are created, they're intertwined. Like our grief with someone isn't just due to the emotional closeness. Like we loved them so much, or they were a dear friend. It's those other pieces as well. The time and space, their physical proximity to you in your life, the amount of time you spent with them, talking to them, et cetera. And so remapping that means you have to now move forward in your life And basically those three pieces where they typically filled some of that Mm. time, space and closeness have to unbraid and new things have to take. I'm not saying like you're replacing them, but basically your life feels like there's this big gap in it in both of those three scenarios, time, space, and closeness, and things will come in naturally and fill that. But until that habit is literally a rewiring of your brain, similar to what you mentioned about the phantom pain, right? Maybe as time goes on, it becomes less and less because you begin to have this, you know, whether it's a prosthetic or whatever it is, but, you know, you create new relationships and you become closer with other people, but it's, it's not just, oh, well, they're gone and, oh, that's sad. And I grieve it. And now I move forward. It's like literally physically in your body, it has to fully readjust and the body takes a lot longer than our logical brain. Right. Yes. So that's what it means by like remapping. So basically you're creating new neural pathways with maybe new people or a new career or whatever it may be. And therefore the other ones over time begin to weaken because you're no longer reinforcing them. You're no longer texting that person. You're no longer seeing them on a daily basis. And that's why, you know, grief in the beginning can feel so consuming, right? Like it's all you're thinking about all day long. And I'm not, not to say that it ever fully goes away, but with time, it does become less or it becomes easier to go to to move through. And that's because you have new neural pathways that are forming with other people and other things. Right. Yeah. But again, even on that piece to think that you'll never feel grief over the loss of someone or a relationship or a big dream you had. I I think, I don't think that's possible. I think when people, especially people, you know, I think we grow and expand so much through relationship that like they fully imprint on our hearts. And although you can move forward and be really fulfilled with others, I think that that kind of that scar, not to mean that in a negative way, but that will always be there. Yes. Well, and what's interesting here is, you know, and this is something I'm going to talk about in a little bit, my separation with Brad and stuff and the grief that I had to move through there. But what I want to mention here first is, What I didn't realize and something that I have learned along the way is that we actually, if we don't process our grief, especially in relationships, it almost has this residual energy that carries into the next. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, and then when you feel another piece of grief in a relationship, it's not even just that relationship. It most likely has the residual pieces of other relationships that you haven't processed. And, you know, when it came to like, spending time grieving my marriage and stuff, 
with Brad, I realized there was actually so much other grief that was coming up with it that I really had to sit with and like almost not compartmentalize, but organize a little bit like, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, this is coming up, but it's not just actually me and him. There's actually grief I'm experiencing of my parents' separation. And so like that gives an example of just how layered it can be. It's like compounding grief. Yes. Right. And I think, you know, that's obviously due to patterns that you created in your life, right. With your parents' separation and your own and working through those. But then, yeah, if you haven't processed the first initial experience of that, it's just now this really heavy weight that you got to sift through. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, you know, because we're going to talk a lot about people today and, and grief, but I remember my first experience of grief and what it felt like Mm. I was 13 and, you know, for any people who are listening, know my story, like with my mom, it was pretty abusive, emotionally and physically relationship with her in my entire childhood. And one thing that always was a constant in my life and created safety for me was my dog. His name was Winston. He was a little cocker spaniel. And it's funny because I'm really not like an animal person now, but I remember that phase in my life, him, he was with me again, going back to space, time and closeness. He was with me every single day. Like before I went to school, when I got home from school, I literally had no one to tell my woes and stories too, like the trauma I was experiencing. I didn't Mm. talk to my friends about it or my dad. And I literally remember always looking at his little face and crying to him and telling him how sad I was. And it literally makes me emotional thinking about it because I'm like, it's a dog, but it's just interesting because it's the exact same uh, with people as it is with animals as well. It's that space, time and closeness piece. And when he died, he had to be put down. He ate something poisonous. Anyways, he had had a long life, but I remember my dad and my stepmom consoling me. And I just remember looking at their faces and just, they, I could see that they couldn't understand the despair of what that, what that grief was like for me. Cause he's just an animal. He's a pet, but it wasn't that he was a pet. It was again, those three pieces and what he represented for me. Mm. And I just remember feeling like I will never recover from this. Like, and it really, it was just foreshadowing of like the grief to come in life. And although that's more conventional loss, like physically the death of someone or something, um, in a way though, it, it just really relates to this because now understanding like what was happening in my brain, like what he represented in terms of space, time and closeness would be like no different than now having a best friend right back then when I was little. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really interesting experiencing that at such a young age and like yeah. that being just an all consuming emotion. Okay. So first of all, this is like largely informative for me in terms of understanding. I've never had a dog, but I've always wondered, not wondered. I can, I can see when people lose a pet, especially a dog, it is, horrific and it can really shatter someone's life. Mm-hmm. And this, your, your explanation of the three pieces of grief helps me understand it so much more in terms of when somebody does lose a pet, like a dog, because mm-hmm. the dog is always there. And like, you think about, especially like therapy dogs or dogs that are quite calm. They just sit beside you, you pet them. They're like there to help relieve you of that energy or that emotion. Yes. And it explains it so well, why people experience such heavy grief when they lose a pet, especially a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really like that you explained that. I think that can be really helpful for our listeners too, because I'm sure there are so many who have lost a pet and a dog, and maybe that helps them understand their grief in a very 
more, not theoretical, but just a more logical way of like, oh, wow, here's all the grief I'm experiencing, but here's why, you know? Yeah. And, and I think too, you know, going back to the piece about like my parents not understanding, I think we see this so often that, you know, other people are trying to be there for you and support you. And I, I think in the most, with the most honest intentions, but they will never understand like your grief fully because they don't have the attachment to the thing you are grieving or the person you are grieving. Yeah. And, you know, like more recently in the last year with my husband's infidelity and really a lot of changes in my life, losing my home, uh, having to like, you know, selling our house, recreating my identity, but also within that was like the loss of a best friend and a loss of a relationship there. And, you know, as much as to the rest of the world outside of, of me, or even thinking about me and the dog, you know, it looks like, well, this is very black and white. This person did this to you. You've cut them out of your life. Uh, you know, why would you be sad about that? Why would you grieve that? Mm. But you know, you're, if you're, you're not in the container of what that attachment is, what that space, time and closeness looks like. And so I would just say to anyone listening, you know, if you're feeling like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm feeling too much to this, or I'm putting too much on this relationship, or maybe it's the loss of like a three month relationship. And everyone's like, well, they were a blip. They were a blip in your, in your life. That doesn't, it's like comparing traumas. You can't, it's what you experienced in that. Right. And it's your attachment. Uh, Again, it's space, time and closeness. And so, you know, don't invalidate yourself because I think with grief, we tend to suppress it or, or think, yeah, yeah, like, you know, it must be something else. I, I really wasn't that close to them. Or you probably were. If you're feeling that way, you probably were. And not honoring that is really, it's really a disservice to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But I know that it's so common for people to really shed because they just, they don't like seeing you in that space of yes. pain and sorrow and they want you to move through it quicker. So they'll say whatever they need to say. And it, yeah. it comes with an honest intention and it's not meant to be cruel. But I would say, if you're listening and you find that you do that, stop doing that to people. Yeah. Uh, and two, if you're the one in the grief and you're feeling that pressure from people to move forward, listen to yourself, not other people, because they don't understand the attachment and what that person meant and the intricacies of that relationship or that dream you had, whatever it was, right? Like only you can give it meaning. Not Yes. Them. Yes. A hundred percent. And I want to go back to this piece too, with you and Winston, do you feel like you have actually grieved Winston? And my second question would be, does the grief you have of Winston stop you from potentially getting a dog? <laughs> So good one. Tori literally texted me this morning. We are never getting a dog. <laughs> There's a backstory to that, but I just find it funny that you asked. <laughs> um, I feel like maybe Winston is coming through right now. He's like, right? come on. So funny. No, I definitely think I grieved him uh, because again, it represented so much more. And I think in a way I actually grieved a lot of like the experiences I had in childhood when he died, but no, now it's probably more like, you know, we have kids, we have two circus animals of our own. So it's just more of, you know, keeping our lives balanced with rest. And I don't think I could care for another being at this point in time. (laughs) I hear that Max is like dead set on getting a dog. And I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. Like that's another child for me. My love. But yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe far, far, far yeah. in the future, but yeah. yeah. The piece I wanted to touch on as well, like at the end of what you were saying, there was, you know, the loss of dreams, you know, what could have been, what should have been, 
expectations that we have of whatever that is. I want to dig into this a little bit because I think this is where we can get really stuck if we don't allow ourselves to process that, you know, and, and like a big piece of this I think about is when I was transitioning into my new home out of my marriage on my own, like there were so many like transitional pieces and I knew that I was moving to a different space, both emotionally, mentally, physically in my life within myself But I knew that I had to sit in some of that in order to be able to properly transition into that new emotional, physical, mental, energetic space. And so, you know, if you are listening to this, and I think this is really important, and you potentially are feeling stuck in grief or feeling stuck in your life, I would recommend looking at, you know, if you have recently transitioned from a relationship or into a new job, a new career, or you've been fired and you don't know what to do next, or even with your healing and you're like stepping into new pieces of yourself or trying to and feeling stuck, can you sit with the loss of what it was prior, right? Can you sit with the emotions that come up when you think about what it could have been, what you thought it was going to be, the expectations you had for yourself in those, in that area or whatever that was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an important piece because you're not just grieving what you had, yes, but what you could have had, right? There's like yeah. the past, present, future piece. Like you're grieving all three of those states in time, mm-hmm. really all at once. Yeah, yeah. I, I I had to do this a lot with with Brad and I, and um, again, sitting with it when it came up. I didn't always just go like digging for it. It was like when it came up, I would sit with it. You know, when when we separate, I think it was after Christmas. So I gave myself a few months and then I decided I was ready to do a really nice ceremony with myself of like what our marriage was, what our life was, uh, our family, like all of that. And I really sat with myself and I did a really nice, you know, for any of you who are wondering, what does this look like for me? I think this is different for everybody. I kind of went with what felt in alignment for me, but I, I pulled some cards for myself. I lit some candles. I played some music. I did a really nice meditation. I went into my Akashic records. I did some journaling and really sat with what was and what could have been my hopes, mm-hmm. my dreams, um, in terms of my marriage, my life, who I was, the family, all of that. And then also allowed myself to start to look into the future of my, of, of my new path, you know, and this, this helped for lack of better terms, close some doors. I think like it, 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 I think closed off some energetic channels in that sense. Right. So, yeah, I think that's such an amazing piece. It's, I feel like I'm hearing this more and more about relationships, like having these closing ceremonies, because what you did there is you basically sat in your grief Mm -hmm. and we don't typically do that. It's usually something that comes up when we're in the middle of our day or just, okay. And we think about it, catch ourselves thinking about it. We're like, Oh, okay. Uh, Put it away. But like what scientists say, psychologists say, neurobiologists say is you have grief is one of the emotions you actually have to approach head on Mm. head on because you will not move through it without literally diving fully in head first. And I feel like for you, you literally gave it this space and you gave yourself permission to grieve 
both what was and what could have been. And again, it's not to say that all the doors are closed off and you'll never have like even your moment with Max, you know, where certain things are still going to trigger that piece Mm -hmm. because there's still that pathway. There's still that connection, right? Think of how long you were in your marriage for and Mm -hmm. you dreamed of your future and all the things you would do like years and years, like that stuff doesn't go away overnight. Right. And mm-hmm. I, so I think that's amazing that you honored those present emotions and, and also probably helped yourself in alleviating some of the pain that you'd experience in the future when pieces of that relationship surface. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the big piece is that it still surfaces, right? It still comes up in different ways, but I think doing something intentional like that maybe helps channel some of that energy, you know, and, and just brings a bit more peace to the waters, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel so chaotic. You know, and I, I want to just elaborate again on this piece about grief not being linear because I feel like it's almost this trap we set ourselves up for that, okay, I've grieved it. Maybe someone else has done a closing ceremony and then they're like, what? A month later, why am I, why am I, you know, crying all of a sudden about it? It, it can just hit you like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, with my relationship with my mom, there came a point where I had to say goodbye to her, even though she's physically still present in this world, her, our relationship was no longer serving me. It was very toxic. And I felt like I had grieved that I had processed a lot of that. I I think I still am, you know, in, in some, in some aspects, but I remember this moment you know, it should have been a really exciting, happy time in my life, which was giving birth to our first child. All of a sudden, like I was headed to the hospital, like ready, like I was starting to go into labor and going to get checked and all of that fun stuff. And I remember just this overwhelming feeling of, of sadness come over me. And I've had to really sit with it. Like what, what was going on? Like my husband's here, like I've texted all my friends, mm-hmm. my family. And it was because of this vision that I had for this monumental moment in my life where I'm going to give birth to like my first child. Like you see it in movies, you, you know, you hear about it. Who's besides you, like your husband and your mom usually. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like in that moment feeling like I'm not going to have that. And, you know, I think, although I didn't have a relationship with her any longer, it just reminded me that it's almost like that, that dream of that moment mm-hmm. was still like very much imprinted in my brain and in my heart. And, you know, when it came up, it was like, oh, wow. Like, I really wanted her to be there for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought like she'd be the person like coaching me through that, holding my hand. And obviously I'm still grieving it. Look at me. But I think it's just really important to acknowledge that, you know, there can be triggering moments in your life where, all of a sudden another piece comes back and you're like, oh yeah. Like that's that lost piece that we want to search to put something in there. We, it's that motivation, that want for the need that we have. And so, yeah, it's just really, just really interesting. I think on, on that front, I just remember that moment being like so visceral and being like, what, what's wrong with me right now? And I think that's what I wanted in that moment. And I think it's just really important too, because sometimes our logical brain can be very critical of like our emotional being. Oh yeah. And like for me to be like, what do you mean you want your mom here? She was like the most abusive, abusive, like narcissistic person in your life. Why would you want her there? But I think again, like our attachment to someone 
you know, and our, our emotional connection to them can trump a lot of that logical thinking. Yeah. I think again, back to like the experience that I've had over the last year and then losing that friendship that, you know, in terms of space, time and connection, like all three of those things were like very big parts of my life, you know, and I feel like people in my life when everything happened were very like critical of that, like Mm, they were awful to you. They did this to you. And even though I've sat with that and I, I understand like what happened and how like toxic and manipulative, you know, her behavior was to me. It still doesn't mean that I'm not going to grieve that. Yeah. First, I want to say that I think it's really, really amazing that you're talking about this and able to be vulnerable about it because it brings up this piece of we can be in toxic relationships and there can be still so much grief that comes up because, and I'm going to bring this back to what you said before, all the different emotions that are in grief, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure on some level you're feeling sadness, anger, rage, betrayal, disappointment, like so many different layered emotions. And so, yeah, people are like, well, look what happened. Like you shouldn't be feeling that way or good. Like that's, but no, this is where grief is so complex Mm -hmm. because like you said, if, if the person has fulfilled really big aspects of these three places of like emotionally and physically, like time, space, all of that, that is a huge loss. Yeah. And so somebody can do anything to someone, but if, but if they have fulfilled those, those areas in such big ways, there's going to be huge loss there. Huge. Yeah. And you, you, you made me think about using that example when you're talking about, you know, you and Max looking through these pictures and honestly, it's something I still can't bring myself to do. Mm -hmm. Like I had to delete a lot of those like memories out of my phone because it the grief was just too heavy, like with everything else I was trying to move through, like in rebuilding my marriage and picking myself off up the floor. And it's, it's really something I'm, I'm just starting to break into. Um, and you know, even if it's like, I've come to terms with like the past, I'm, I'm really actually like a lot of that sadness comes up because I'm grieving the loss of like the future. Yeah. Of like what that, what I thought that relationship was going to have in my life, the place it was going to have, um, you know, the memories that were going to be made. And, and that's similar to any like loss of a relationship yeah. for, for most people. Right. And I think, you know, just because the future hasn't happened, like know that whether consciously or subconsciously, you planned out probably the next five to 10 years, like with that person, whether that's a friend, an intimate partner, a child, et cetera. Um, And so, you know, I think that's why grief is just one of the hardest things to move through because it is so complex and so compounding and doesn't just take place in the past or the present, but the future as well. Yeah. And you know what, the piece that you just said, this is a great segue into this final part of like, how can you work through your grief? You know, you mentioned this thing of like, deleting pictures or like not looking at things. That's a great boundary that I think we have to make for ourselves sometimes of like, it's not that we're avoiding the triggers, but we're creating boundaries. So maybe we're not as triggered all the time. And it's, it's funny because I have had to do the, the same thing. Anytime a holiday has come up this year, especially with Canada day, just passing, I don't 
I don't look at my social media because all mm-hmm. I see are families spending time together. And that's like a really big piece of my grief with my marriage and with our family. Right. And, and so is that me avoiding it? No, it's creating boundaries so that like, I still process it when it shows up, but maybe I'm just not pouring gasoline on myself and lighting myself on fire every time, you know? So I, I was just going to say that process, if you were to check would be like delaying your healing. It's yeah. not like you're avoiding the grief, but you're processing it in, in bite-sized pieces. Yes. Yeah. And so, so, you know, this, this is a great segue into how can you work through your grief? So number one, I think it's, it's great if you can create boundaries so that you are learning and starting to process it, but maybe not just like ambushed by it at all times. Some other pieces that have really helped me holding space for my difficult emotions. So I have a lot of anger and shame and guilt and sadness that come up when I'm working through grief. I really allow myself to feel them all recognizing when I'm triggered and really supporting myself in that, whether it's in the moment or saying, I'm going to come back to this later today when I have a quiet moment to actually like sit with it. Breath work and journaling have been life-changing for me because there's so much release for me that happens in breath work, moving my body big time. So I I go running every day. Uh, Intuitive dancing has been really helpful for me. So anytime a big challenging emotion comes up, I could do some dancing around it. And that also helps it move through. Yeah. and, And if you wanted to add anything in there that works for you. Yeah. Just the last piece is I think the compassion with yourself, because Mm. I think we've been taught that once you've moved on in air quotes or put something behind you, like it should stay there. And I think we've done a good job explaining that grief is not like that. It will rear its head when you least expect it. When a holiday rolls around, you might not even know like what the trigger is giving birth to your first child. And all of a sudden all your childhood Mm -hmm. like pain comes back. It's, you just, it's so complex. And so give yourself compassion and don't feel that you're back to where you started because you're not, it's just an ever evolving process um, that gets easier to move through when it comes up, but it still comes up. So just acknowledging that becoming aware of it and giving yourself compassion, regardless of what the rest of the world is doing for you in that, in that circumstance. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, I hope that was helpful. Sorry yeah. for all the tears, everyone. Not really sorry. But, no, uh, <laughs> I, I like that. I love crying. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, of course you do. That's <laughs> usually your role, not mine. <laughs> oh, I already cried today. I cried yesterday. I just love it so much. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We hope that this can help you. If you have any questions about grief or any of the other episodes that we've done, you can contact Tess on social media on TikTok and Instagram at her unearthed. And you can contact myself, Christina, on Instagram and TikTok at Christina.soulempowered. We thank you guys so much for listening. We hope that you can share this episode if you found it helpful, Mm -hmm. share it on your social media, share it with your friends and family, anyone you think it can help. And we will talk to you guys soon. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.